We're going to get into the teaching for the morning. We started a series here just for the beginning of the year. We'll be going back to the Gospel of John. The series is entitled Practicing Presence. We're going to be working through three categories, the presence of God, presence in community with one another, and presence in our city. We'll probably wrap it up around early February, mid-February. Let me pray for us. Jesus, I just ask now that your Holy Spirit would do the work that we cannot do. All of the things that our minds are attached to, all of the anxiety and the fear and the anger or the confusion or the uncertainty about 2021 that exists in our body, we just bring our heart, mind, body, and soul to you right now. And as we meditate here at the very beginning of the year, Holy Spirit, would you call us, would you comfort us? Lord, I am praying with everything in my being that we as a community would take shape and be a non-anxious presence in this city. That we would be present one unto another, that we would make the sacrifice to know each other, to commit to one another in a, in a way of longevity, in a generational way of thinking. I pray that there are people here right now whose grandchildren will be part of this church. I pray, Father, that our great-great-grandchildren would be part of Neighbors Church all around the world, Lord. Just send missionaries, send church plants. But more than ever, we need to be aware of and open to the empowering of your presence, your tangible, thick, felt, transforming, empowering presence. If there be any wicked way in us this Sunday morning, search us, O God, May we be quick to confess and repent and be flooded with that righteousness that is you, your goodness and your grace and your holiness. In Jesus' name, amen. 2021 is off to a tumultuous start. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I think a lot of us were hoping January 1st that we would come into 2021 and everything would just get better. And instead, what we're seeing through our news feeds is just a little more insanity, a little more craziness. It's causing a lot of anxiety. It's causing a lot of confusion. And I just wanted to start out this morning's teaching with two pastoral words of reminder for all of us. Number one, Jesus is the king. Jesus is the ruling sovereign king. He is on his throne. And Jesus knows what he is doing. And so more than ever... We as Jesus' people need to learn to not be so distracted by the news feeds and the Twitter feeds and the Instagram feeds and the YouTube videos and the nightly news, all of which is important, but boy, is it loud. We need to once again turn our hearts and focus all the more intentionally on Jesus' words in the scriptures and on the power of his Holy Spirit and on his guidance. And that's what this series is all about, seeking God's presence by his spirit in the scriptures, in our community, and in our city. Ann Voskamp posted this last week. She's an incredible author. You have to come into the king's presence before you can go out into the king's world. This is Jesus' world. This is the king's world, despite the chaos that we see throughout it. And so we cannot forget that at the onset of this year. Our goal is to come into the king's presence so that we can go out effectively into the king's world and do his work. And the second reminder and pastoral word for us 
the very beginning of 2021. Number one, Jesus is the king. And number two, for such a time as this, you and I have been placed in this cultural moment to be the kingdom ambassadors. It's not a mistake that you are here in this city with these things going on in your news feeds as a saint following the Savior. He wants you to serve him. He has purposes for you. And so as we learn to know and grow in God's presence, we are sent effectively out into God's world to do his work. We are sent to be rescuers, reaching out to those who are drowning in all the chaos surrounding us. And you guys, this is a weighty and a noble calling that we've been given. And I pray that we as a community, a newly forming community, would embrace it with fullness of faith and hope and joy. So last week, we took time and we prayed through Exodus chapter 33. It's a section where Moses is in dialogue with God. And in the middle of that dialogue with God, Moses says to God, if your presence doesn't go with us, don't send us up from here. That is a concrete prayer for us to commit to this year. I would exhort you, in your prayer journals, in your Lectio Divina times of reading, if you got one of the journals, or if you're reading through the Bible this year, put at the top of your prayer list, Father, if your presence doesn't go with me, if your presence doesn't go with my family, if your presence doesn't go with my church this year, don't send me. I don't want to go. I don't want to do anything apart from the tangible awareness of your movement in my life, your guidance in my life, your comfort in my life. A.W. Tozer, probably my favorite author and pastor from a couple generations ago. He was a pastor in Chicago. And his most famous quote is this. If the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from the church today, 95% of what we do would go on and no one would know the difference. If the Holy Spirit had been withdrawn from the New Testament church, 95% of what they did would stop and everybody would know the difference. Lord, if your presence doesn't go with us, then we don't want to go. This is the most important thing that we are to be praying for. And we want 100%, every cell, every fiber of our physical and spiritual being to be filled with and animated by God himself. Now, God's presence, here's where we're going to go for the rest of our time. A little bit academic, but I think you'll enjoy it and I think you'll learn a lot. Let's talk about God's presence as revealed in the Old Testament and the New Testament because it's very complex. Nothing in biblical theology is simple, straightforward, black and white. There's a lot of paradoxes, a lot of complexity, and God's presence is no different. In the Bible, as you read the stories, God's presence is revealed as constant and everywhere, all the time. There is nowhere where God is not at any point in any time, but also... There are these scenarios throughout the biblical record where God's people are crying out, don't take your presence from me. Why have you abandoned me? Where are you? And so God is revealed as constant and present all the time. And God is also as revealed as sometimes seeming to not be there. And sometimes we see throughout the biblical record that God breaks in and does some crazy stuff. His power is tangibly, visibly, visibly. Visibly, what was that? You, I'm on a roll. He is seen. He is felt. Stuff actually happens. Dr. Brashear is my mentor. He talks about these realities of God's presence in two categories. 
God's presence is constant as a reality. He is reality, and that never changes, and he is always presence. He is always present, and God's presence relationally. There is his reality that is constant and always, and then there is his presence that is relational, and we can have seasons where we sense him so fully, and we can have seasons where we are high and dry and we feel completely abandoned. And both of those senses of God's presence are important. God is present all the time, and he is present to us relationally. And as a church community, our DNA, our culture, we literally want to devote ourselves to growing in and learning and abiding in and being aware of God's constant all the time everywhere presence and then pleading with and contending for a sense of his relational presence. And so we balance these two categories of God's presence through these two traditions of Christianity, two two historical traditions of Christianity that we kind of blend together in this modern hybrid called Neighbors Church. Two emphasis throughout the historical development of Christianity, we take those two poles and we combine them. And those two poles are charismatic Christianity and contemplative Christianity. Just by a show of hands, how many of you have ever heard of charismatics, the charismatic Christian camp? Okay, good. So that means you guys all have an idea about that. I want you to just set your ideas about charismatic Christianity aside for a moment because we're going to develop what that means for neighbors. This is crucial. How many of you have ever heard of contemplative Christianity? Exactly. So a few less. Contemplative Christianity has been lost on the Western models of Protestant Western Christianity, but we are reviving it, and our circle of churches is reviving it because we believe it's one of the most important pieces missing in the modern church. Let's talk about contemplative Christianity. What does that mean for us at Neighbors Church? What is contemplative Christianity? Contemplative Christianity starts with the premise that God is always present. The theologians call this his omnipresence, his always-thereness. And because God is as a reality everywhere all the time, and because there is no moment where that reality of God is not fully present to us, it's not him that leaves us, it's our awareness that is devoid of him. It's on us. Because of the tremendous distraction that all of us are dealing with, even right now, our brains are being rewired by our phones and the chaos that slams into our being every single day. Because we live in this constant distraction, we live relatively unaware of God as a reality in most of our mental days. Busyness and technology, I'm absolutely persuaded, are two of Satan's greatest tools at destroying God's people and their souls. We also have been trained by a contemporary model of Christian theology that says, when God is with you, everything is awesome. (laughs) His presence is full and fell, and you've got warm fuzzies, and everything goes great. It's so good. But then we go through long seasons where it's not awesome. It's terrible, and we feel dry, and we feel alone. We feel depressed. We feel disoriented. We feel alone. We feel scared. And we find ourselves saying, has God abandoned me? Where is God? Is he no longer present to me? The biblical authors, they were absolutely persuaded that whether our times were dark or light, whether we were aware of his presence right now or completely oblivious to it, 
They believed God was present. Psalm 139, one of my favorite psalms. I'll read a section of it to you. The psalmist writes, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. Now, as apprentices of Jesus, that is, followers of Jesus, people who want to be with Jesus and become like Jesus and do what Jesus did. It is so crucial that we learn to be aware of God's presence in all things because Jesus lived as a human fully and perfectly aware of God's presence all the time. It's part of what Jesus made. It's part of what made Jesus fully human and perfectly human. His awareness of God's presence. Jesus said things like, very truly I tell you, I can do nothing by myself. I can only do what I see the Father doing because whatever the Father does, I do. This awareness. He said, what I have heard from the Father, I tell the world. So Jesus lived in such a way that he always saw the hand of his Father at work in all things and then he aligned himself with that work. And he was quiet enough in his soul at all points in time in his ministry that he could hear the words of the Father and then speak the words of the Father into the world. And guys, it's got to be noted that Jesus lived with this level of awareness in the midst of the threat of plague and famine, in the midst of horrific social injustices at the hands of the Roman Empire, surrounded by political scandals and uprisings and QAnon and everything else that you can get, And through a relentless, busy calendar where the man was exhausted most of his days doing kingdom work. And yet, he lived fully aware of God's all the time, everywhere presence and aligned himself with it. Contemplative Christianity, as we define it, contemplative Christianity uses certain practices to slow us down, to remove distraction, and to consciously focus our attention on where God is and how God is working in all points in time. So things that some of you may have never been introduced to, things like extended times of deep silence, just being still, stop talking for a moment, and just listening. Stillness, like not even fidgeting, just truly becoming still before God. Once a week, Sabbath rhythms are huge for us. Six days of hard, hard work, and then one day, full on, decompress, declare the goodness of God, rejoice, rest, be restored. These contemplative rhythms build a way of seeing the world and awareness in the world of God at work. Slowed down Bible reading. Yes, you should read through your Bible in a year. If you've never done that, do that this year. But this year, we also introduced Lectio Divina journals to our community. All 50 of them are gone. They're sold out with the company we got them from. We're going to try to get you more in June. But this is a way of literally slowing down. I'm telling you, everybody that has these journals, when I'm talking to them, they're like, oh, my goodness, this is my life now. To slow down, soak in the scriptures, be still, actually meditate in one word for an entire day, an entire week. For me, an entire year. Joy is my word for this year. Listening and centering prayer practices that we introduce throughout this coming year. These expand our awareness of God's presence in every single moment of life. And so to contemplate, just to make this simple, to contemplate something is to look thoughtfully at it for a really long time. 
It's to chew on it. It's to stay focused on it. It's to consider it, whatever it may be, from all sorts of different angles. And so contemplative Christianity interprets everything that's happening on our news feeds and in our internal experiences. It interprets everything that is happening through the lens of God is a reality who is present right now. In the highs and the lows, this is part of his presence in this world. Even as Shua mentioned, even the long seasons where we find ourselves saying, I feel dry, the contemplative says, I'm going to consider that. I'm going to look at that. I'm going to realize that even in my dryness, God has me in a process of making me more aware of his always present presence, even when I don't feel his presence. Julia of Norwich, 13th century mystic, almost died after this tremendous fever. She was given 16 visions, some of which were super weird. Some of them were super cool. And in the midst of her visions, she talked about having this prayer that was birthed in her heart. I long so bad for God's presence, Julia of Norwich wrote. And she came as a contemplative Christian to believe that even the longing itself was God's presence. I ache for you, God. That's God's presence. That's deeply contemplative Christianity. Do you see how this shifts the way that we view the world, the way that we walk in the world, the way that we see our experiences, the way that we live with our Jesus who is always with us? The contemplative Christian is aware that in both prosperity and poverty, health and sickness, gain and and loss, God is working good from it and is present in it, all of it. And the contemplative life, it gives attention to both the mystery of life and the mundanity of life. The contemplative life looks at the pain of this life and says, I can't answer the mysterious questions of why a good God would allow these things. And it embraces that and receives that, but doesn't divorce God's presence from that. And the contemplative life looks at the smallest things of life and says God is present in the smallest things of life. God is present in the suffering and the small things. So the contemplative embraces the hard days and the hard things as an opportunity to say, I trust you, Father, with my internal or external sufferings and pain. I will wait on you. I will watch. I will consider. I will trust. I will walk with you. And the contemplative life walks about considering the flowers of the field, as Jesus said to do. Looking at the beards, man, looking at the birds of the air. And the contemplative life steps back and says, this flower of the field shows me the beauty of my God. The fact that that bird had breakfast this morning is a sermon to my soul saying God will provide whatever is needed for me today. This is the contemplative life. Observing, considering, contemplating, slowing down, removing distraction. And so everything has something of God in it for the soul of a contemplative. Contemplative Christianity is about our perspective. It's a way of seeing the world, everything internal and external, through God's reality. And this is important for us. As a church plant, this is important for you as an individual, maybe more important than ever this year. There is so much, and we all come here this morning maybe with some of this. There is so much fear and anger and confusion right now. We don't know who to believe. We don't know what's true. We don't know what's right. We don't know what's wrong anymore. And God is present in all of that. And I believe that we as a contemplative community are to be healed by listening to the sermons of the birds of the air and the flowers of the field, 
by considering even in our suffering and confusion and angst that God is present in that, we are healed in that so that we can be sent as a non-anxious presence into this panicked moment to gently and pastorally, as good shepherds, good shepherds under the chief shepherd, guide our lost society to still waters and to green pastures. We are contemplative activists. We're not hippies sitting around pondering our navels. That's not what this is about. We need to know that God is present. You need to know this year that your Father is present personally in all things for your psychological, spiritual, physical, and emotional health and for the well-being of your neighbor. This is for the sake of their souls. Now, category number two. If God's presence is always a reality... The Bible also reveals that he is relationally present to his people. Again, doctors, Dr. Bashir's reality constant. Relationally, I don't know. Sometimes there, sometimes not there. The ty- this type of presence, the second type of presence that we see throughout the biblical narrative and really throughout the history of the church, this presence, when God comes in this way, it is dynamic, it is felt, and it is clearly seen. When God comes in this way, It is radical because obvious things are happening to us internally and obvious things are happening around us externally. When God comes in this way relationally, it is God coming with real power. It is the Red Sea splitting. It is Samson tearing tearing stuff up with the jawbone of a donkey. It 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 is King Saul prophesying among the prophets. It is empowerment. It is transformation. And when this presence comes upon a community of people throughout the history of the church and in the biblical narrative, things change. People are radicalized. That's that's kind of a buzzword right now. Radicalized in the best sense of that word. Radicalized. Radically reoriented. It's as if God's presence when he comes in this way. the, the, The space between heaven and earth thins so much that the kingdom of heaven becomes so real to us that it loosens our grip on this world. And then people start making crazy faith decisions when his presence comes this way. You're sitting there and you're like, you know what? I'm casting all my cares upon the presence of God and I'm going to go on the mission field forever. I'm going to go. I'm going. People, when the presence comes, they are emboldened to share Jesus with everyone. They no longer care about the promotion at work what people think about them, they are more in tune with God's presence and desire others to have it. And so they let go of their need for image and popularity and this power comes to witness to Jesus. When the presence come, when his presence comes in this way, like risky, costly decisions are made towards radical generosity. And it's practiced because people actually tangibly sense, whoa, my treasure is actually in heaven. I have nothing of good in this world other than to give to it for the glory of my God in the kingdom come. God's unconditional love, when this presence comes, it is felt in the midst of the community, and people repent of sin. Holiness comes, and people are freed from long-standing issues. Healings and miracles happen. People come alive in their gifts, and they want to serve in sacrificial ways. There's a passion and a devotion and an urgency. Now, we see these expressions of God's presence all throughout the Old Testament, but very, very rarely. Moses, he led through the presence of God. We're told that Samson, as I already mentioned, he had the Spirit of God come upon him with his beautiful locks, and he had tremendous strength. We see that the prophets, Elijah and Elisha, were both anointed and empowered by the Holy Spirit for their prophetic ministry to the Israeli kings. 
Saul and David, they were tangibly touched by the Holy Spirit and transformed. And so while these occurrences were very rare in the Old Testament, spotted throughout the prophets were these promises that one day God's Spirit would be poured out upon all of the sons and daughters of God. Joel chapter 2. Afterward, Joel says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And we are living in those days. When Jesus of Nazareth was crucified and buried and three days later rose from the grave, He ascended unto the Father, and a tiny little group, much like our church, tiny little group of 120 people were gathered and just praying, what do we do? Just contending. As Tozer said, they were just waiting and looking to do what God would empower them to do. And Luke tells us, Dr. Luke, a physician, not a fanatical, crazy lunatic, a physician, a doctor, An experienced scientist writes this historical record of tongues of fire coming upon this small group of people, and they turned the Roman Empire upside down within three centuries. Man, that guy is just rocking. This is what Paul was encouraging the Ephesians towards when he said in Ephesians 5.18, be filled with the Spirit. And that, that could be literally translated, be continually being filled with the Holy Spirit. Charismatic Christianity. Charismatic Christianity is a hungering and a praying for and an an expecting God to come upon us with his animating presence. It's a longing. Charismatic Christianity is a posture of heart where we find ourselves saying, I am hungry for you to come and empower and do the things that I see in the Bible. Do the things that I've seen you do in the history of the church. Do the things that I've read about. Do the things that I've heard the stories of. I want that. That is the foundation of charismatic Christianity. It's an openness. It's a, it's a desire. Now, this, this name, charismatic Christianity, it, it, doesn't because, it doesn't come because all of a sudden we're filled with like all sorts of charisma and we're like super great whatever. The name comes from a specific Greek word. When Paul is describing to the church in Corinth how God comes and manifests his gifts, as they're called, God comes by his Holy Spirit, and he enables certain people to do Excel spreadsheets and administration, and he enables certain people to do leadership and vision casting, and he enables certain people to teach, and some people get kind of inexplicable gifts like speaking in tongues, and some people are given visions where they can actually kind of see into what's happening and give a word of knowledge or a word of wisdom. Some people are given the ability to just humbly serve by the Holy Spirit. Paul says those manifestations, the Greek word, that Greek word translated in those passages is the Greek word charismaton, charismaton, charismata, from which we get our word charisma. Charismatic Christianity as we define it at neighbors biblically is this openness and this longing to have God come upon us relationally and manifest whatever he wants to manifest in us at any given point in time. Charismatic Christianity is this deep hunger. And so contemplative Christianity is a perspective. No matter where we are, no matter what we're doing, we are still in quiet and watching and waiting on God who is present Charismatic Christianity is a posture where we are contending, crying out, aching, God, 
Please don't leave their souls dry this Sunday morning. Please come and awaken and speak and move and inspire and shape and change. And it's a posture of complete longing and urgency and openness where we contend for God's manifest presence. And I'm convinced that so many Christians through 2021 have grown so discouraged. It's been a God-blessed mess over this last year. He has been present in it all, but I think he has brought all of us to our knees where we are finally willing to cry out, I don't want anything in this world but you. I want your presence. I need your presence. I need your comfort. I need to hear you as my friend. I need to feel you as my father. This is the coming of God's presence. And so as a charismatic community, we pray for God's miracles. We are open to the supernatural work of God all the time. We're open to him to come to us in dreams, in visions, miracles, in shared words of knowledge and prophecy and tongues. And maybe we'll teach through 1 Corinthians someday. We'll do an entire series on the gift of tongues and what I think that is, what I think Paul thought that was, what I think Jesus thought that was. But it's all there, and it's something that we open ourselves to and we're longing for. Practicing God's presence this year for us as Neighbors Church, contemplative, charismatic Christianity is a balance of both of these traditions in this hybrid new generation of the church. So we wait contemplatively, watching God's presence in the pain all around us, and we ache charismatically, contending for God's presence to come and to heal. It's a both and, not an either or. We rest contemplatively, trusting that God is at work in everything right now. But we work charismatically, letting God guide our obedience as we sacrificially serve our neighbor and friend and coworker and stranger and enemy. And more than ever, we have to be developing a robust, contemplative, charismatic Christianity. Now, to wrap this up, for those of you that raised your hand and you're familiar with charismatic Christianity and you have an idea of what that is, I ask you to put that baggage aside. And for those of you that raised your hand, you may have an idea of what contemplative Christianity is. I ask you to put that aside. I want to say one final word before we come to communion. As we develop these practices, silence, solitude, Sabbath-keeping, intentional community, praying, contending, being open to whatever God may or may not do on any given place, in any given person, for us at Neighbors, our primary way of knowing God and his will is the Bible. It is the Bible. Our primary authority and guide is the scriptures. We are centered on God's word. We are what we call a word and spirit church. We read the word contemplatively. We read the word charismatically. But everything stems from the Bible itself as God's revealed word to us in this world. And both traditions of Christianity, contemplative and charismatic, have developed baggage through their histories and in some cases gotten super weird and super off point with scripture. Some of the contemplative streams, they actually turned so inward that they just, many of those, well, I'm not, some of those authors began to just really look at their internal world as the primary source of authority. And in so doing, some of those authors and leaders, they left the cities 
and they formed these monasteries to practice extreme forms of asceticism, all in an attempt to purify their inner being and contemplate the presence of God and be one with God. But in so doing, they lost the power in the heart of the gospel, the missional kingdom-multiplying power of the gospel in us and through us. Now, there was benefits to those monasteries. We have Christian theology today because of those monasteries. That's how we survived the Dark Ages. But we are not to hold off and just kind of study our internal being without thought towards how we are being moved outward into the world. And our foundation, our guide, is not what's going on internally or the visions and imaginations we're given in our contemplative places, but the scriptures themselves are our guide. Certain tributaries of charismatic Christianity, which most of you are much more familiar with, um, yeah, slowly began to, in some instances and in some tributaries and under some leaders, began to value these outward manifestations and experiences over the scriptures. In some of those communities, they began to kind of fake it, just to fake it and fabricate these experiential moments in the name of, well, we have to have these outward experiences, these inexplicable, miraculous things. Otherwise, God didn't show up. And in some instances, they have strayed completely from biblical bounds and biblical teachers. Some of the so-called healers and prophets have become, in some of the, I'm saying some, in some of those tributaries, their word has been held above Scripture, And so they can come in and speak over a community certain things that have nothing to do with Scripture, and it's taken as the word. Visions and prophecies and strange events can become overly focused on, and in some measure, the actual presence of Jesus is grieved, and the normal things in life are lost. And suffering is seen as nothing but sin in the community when suffering is actually part and parcel of how God forms his presence in our lives. Now, I recognize I am broad brushing, and I'm almost done. We're going to come to communion. I am broad brushing. I'm not being super nuanced. I'm not trying to offend us. We all come from these different historical traditions. We all have experiences within different frameworks of these places. What I'm trying to do is establish some vision and something to seek our teeth into as a brand new community this year. And I trust that these DNA, these cultural pieces, contemplative, charismatic Christianity, will carry on for generations. But what you and I need to know is that stuff may get weird with us. Like, we have to be humble. We could accidentally begin to overemphasize one way or the other. And so we always have to return to the scriptures. We always return to Jesus. We always return to the cross. We always return to the resurrection. We always, if you're a guy like me, stand on the shoulders of centuries of brilliant theologians, and we do the hard work of reading, comparing, contrasting, and then we return back to our scriptures and the leading of the Spirit for our community. And so we want to take what is behind us and press on towards the upward call of Christ Jesus this year. Let that unfold in this new expression of contemplative, charismatic Christianity for the well-being of your souls and for the well-being of our neighbor's souls. Tim Keller writes, how do we know if we're reacting to the real God? The answer is there's no real knowing of God unless we know him through his word. Otherwise, we're creating a God out of our own imaginations. Here's the pastoral call. Here's what I want to take us into a time of prayer. The pastoral call for this year, for us as a community, it's, it's so layered, but it starts with this, this intentional decision to say, this year I want to consider the lilies of the field and the birds of the air more deeply than I ever have. 
this year, I want to slow down and trim away not all the distraction. That's impossible. We live in this cacophony of chaos. It's impossible to be freed from the distraction. That's actually what the mystics and the contemplatives believed wrong. They thought they could flee to the deserts and find total solace of soul, and they got just weird out there. So we'll stay together here in the city. We'll have our little urban monastery right here in South Park. We're not going anywhere, but we want to slow down. We want to remove distraction. And second, if we're going to slow down and contemplate this year, I'm exhorting you, honestly, with all of my pastoral gumption, and then just as a fellow friend and brother and somebody that's been leading the church for like 20 years now, I'm at this place where I'm begging you to contend for God's presence. Like, cry about it. Cry out. In the mornings, unleash a barrage of tears. (laughs) Scream. Hold the Bible up and, and, and say to Jesus, you said if we ask, you would. You said, you're a good father. You said, you, look, you said, if we ask for bread, you would not give us a stone. Hold up his revealed word and pray for him to come. Daily, daily. Not just Sunday morning, semi-inspirational sermon. I'm praying that the Holy Spirit is working in your souls right now, that not only for the rest of this week, but you start thinking about the rest of this year. You start thinking about long-term, what does it look like for me to contemplate and to contend in this contemplative and charismatic way as a Christian that will carry through to every relationship that I'm involved in, not only here in this life, but to my kids, my grandkids, my great-grandkids, I want to become a tributary, a headwater for the movement of the Holy Spirit to work through my life generationally beyond me. What are we doing if we don't do at least that? While all the sociologists talk about the slippage of Christianity unto the margin, we are rejoicing that we are being given this opportunity to press in, to pray, to seek God's guidance, to sense him, and to see him move. And my dear friend, my loved one, this has been the hardest thing for me to reconcile. You and I may be the people who say, okay, I'll do it. And we pray our guts out till the day we go into our grave. And it doesn't break open upon us until our grandkids come. That's just something we have to give to God. At the very least, I believe he's calling us to this way of life as a community, to share with each other deeply as a family, and to live in this city as part of his presence. And, and he can. He, he could pour out and do things that we can't imagine tomorrow. He could do it right now, five minutes from now. God could show up and do whatever he wants to do. A charismatic Christian says, I want that, and I'm open to that, and I'm praying for that. And so at the center of God's presence is Jesus. God embodied among us, God crucified for us to bring us back into God's holiness. Jesus and the gospel, they are our foundation, and everything we do in prayer and pursuit of God's presence stems from him. Shua, you guys can come on back up. and We're going to come to communion now, and I think you were handed communion. Does everybody have communion? I think what I'd like to do is just open ourselves right now to just sing and... Um, Wait on God. Let's just sing and wait on God. It's 1119. If you feel like you need to leave early, that's 
totally fine. When we pursue God, when we both contemplatively and charismatically open ourselves to God, it's a both and. We receive what God gives in the moment, which may be just another 15 minutes of singing and dryness and no sense of his presence. Or we receive a sense of his presence, a sense of love, a sense of openness, a sense of um, awareness. But we contend for it in our hearts. We, we come before the cross as we take communion this morning to contend for God's presence. We, we hold up to our Father the truth that he so loved us he would send his Son. And if he who sent his Son for us is, is, is for us, he actually wants to be with us, then let's check our hearts during communion today and see if there be anything that is hindering or grieving his coming into our life in new and fresh ways. As we come to communion, I would also encourage you, and as we go into 2021, let God be God. Come with your hands open and your expectations laid at his feet. Because he may come upon you in an early morning session of Lectio Divina and you'll weep for hours for the rest of the day. Or you may just feel rushed through it, completely distracted. And the Instagram addiction may just get the best of you. So you end up on Instagram at 6.30 in the morning instead of the scriptures. And you're loved. That's what the cross proves to us. You are loved, 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 so loved. I want you to hear this. And if you would, would you just close your eyes as we prepare to sing? There may be a lot of hurt and confusion in your life right now. The good life that you envisioned, like the life that you held up to God and said, here, God, this is what the good life is. It's like it's not there. There's maybe loss. There's a lot of uncertainty. I want you to hear God is present. Where shall I flee from your presence? He is present in depression. He is present in the anxiety that the pills don't seem to be helping right now. He is present in the uncertainty that you have about your future. He really is. My friend, he is present in your loneliness. He knows your loneliness is not a loneliness because he is with you in it. And he wants you to cry out for companionship, for community. Though it seems like you've prayed and prayed and every church has failed you. And this church may fail you as well. He wants you to pray for deeper community, for deeper resonance, for deeper fullness. Maybe you've prayed for the salvation of a friend or a family member. Maybe you've just been praying for a long time in this desert season. God, I just want to know that you're with me. I just want to know that you care. Don't stop praying that. He is present in those prayers. It's an act of pure faith to say, I feel so dry and so depressed and so alone and so discouraged, and yet, God, you are present in it. And it is also a moment of grace and mercy when God breaks open on you and reorients your perspective for just even a moment. He gives you just enough, just enough good, just enough grace, just enough kingdom to, to, to release your grip from the good life vision that you've given to him. Release your grip from whatever it is in this world that you're so certain, that we are so certain will finally bring joy. 
This morning, some of us, um, yeah, there's that just constant, that one sin thing. And it's gnarly. It just won't let us go. It's a particular addiction. It's a particular way of thinking or reacting to a spouse or a child or a friend. It's an impatience. It's a, a gripping lust. It's, it's something that just entangles us. God does not condemn. He loves you. He loves me. He wants you to just bring that to him in confession. You don't have to fight anymore. He wants you to rest in his love contemplatively and cry out for power and strength and commitment to fight with the flesh charismatically, to be empowered by the Holy Spirit, to commit to that, that, one, that one sin, to do whatever it takes, Take whatever steps necessary to begin to mitigate and fight against that sin when that temptation comes. That we would be clean and pure conduits for God's Holy Spirit. And Father, as I close us in prayer and take us into communion, I just with my family lean in. This small group of people, without you, we can't go forward. Literally. We literally can't go forward. You know what we need. You know what we need to to grow as a church numerically. You know what we need to grow financially. But most importantly, you know what we need to grow as a spiritual family set apart for you in alignment and in unity with the rest of the churches of this city and the churches of the world. You don't just mistakenly throw people together. You unite us together and you take all of our personalities, whether small church or large church, you take us all together and you uniquely fit us and knit us together to be the contemplative charismatic community who are bringing Jesus to this world. God, I pray that this church, Neighbors Church, would be a safe house, a home for healing for people. Heal people here, Lord. We pray for miracles of healing, physical healing and spiritual healing. Holy Spirit, come upon us with tongues of fire today. If it be your gracious will, as we listen to the birds of the air and the sweet softness of the sun warms our skin, we are taken care of and provided for. We are sheltered by God himself. Tongues of fire come. Power come. Grant us grace. We wait on you. We can't command you or demand of you anything. We can only open ourselves to you poor people seeking bread, thirsty people seeking water. Do as you will now, Father, in this time. In Jesus' name, amen.